Hi, pals. Welcome to Leaders Learning, a podcast of conversations with great leaders. I'm the host, Blaine Hill. About halfway through 2020, I wanted to hear from really strong leaders about how they are leading in the many challenges of the year. This podcast is the result of those conversations. I have a request to make. Would you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star review too? Please and thank you. Today's guest is Elizabeth Brookins-Sturman, the founding pastor of Brambleton Presbyterian Church in Brambleton, Virginia, a suburb of Washington, D.C. Elizabeth is a remarkably focused leader. When I met Elizabeth 15 years ago, she was intent on sharing the good news of Jesus and on helping people mature in faith. She continues in that same focus today. She has served congregations in Berkeley, California, and Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I was impressed with Elizabeth's ability to think about large issues and the direction of the congregation, which she calls strategy, and to keep a focus on the practical work of leading a particular group in a specific location. It may help you to know that in a Presbyterian church, a board of elders known by the peculiar label a session leads an individual congregation. The year has had a lot of surprises for everyone. Have you been particularly surprised by anything in the church? Oh, lots in the church. I mean, it's the pivot to online was rigorous, quick, just kept coming at some, at some points it was like drinking from a fire hose. And so um, in the ministry that I'm involved in, I, it's a very beautiful collaboration of teaching elders and ruling elders. And so many people, you know, were in the midst of pivoting in their own jobs in their own families, distance learning or some form of a hybrid learning, their jobs were, you know, they were going in or they won't go, weren't going in. So everybody was in a free fall at once. For me, one of the things that I learned is that being in a smaller church, uh, as opposed to the larger churches I used to serve, and not having the staff resources to collaborate and brainstorm with was isolating and difficult. Um, so it was it was a surprise in that way, because you could certainly understand as a person in the church. That said, um, the surprise was for us, the pivot to online was not that difficult. And the metrics for engaging with people in this reality is not difficult for us either. I'm I'm picking up in some of the Experts that I'm following, Barna, the Glue Group, Carrie Nyhoff, um, that for many people in the more established churches, the online pivot was much more difficult, and the evangelism processes that needed to be associated with the online pivot were it was a completely unknown. For us, it was also unknown, but it wasn't hard to pick up quickly on because it's just, in our way of thinking, a form of evangelism or, um, you know, moving with the community that you're in and learning the language they speak quickly, which is what we've done all along. So I'm going to entirely answer your question because um, it's very specific on my own church, but hopefully it's helpful. Things that are specific are almost always the most interesting. So I really yeah. appreciate that. I've struggled to lead this year because we've had several large social challenges. We've had COVID, evidence of police injustice, social protest, 
very powerful political divisions. I wonder what you have learned or what you've seen about leading in the church with those combined challenges right at hand. I think that's a very well stated question, Blaine, um, because in the strategic leadership processes, it's never, in my opinion or experience, a good idea to push more than one new strategic initiative forward at a time. And that list that you just outlined demanded our acknowledgement and our response, especially the racism. And and I, you left off sort of the political realities that we're facing in our country, um, the divisiveness and the lack of leadership that we're experiencing. So, so what I think was really challenging for us was to figure out which one of those things we needed to prioritize to move forward with the resource, leadership resources that we had available. And it had to be for us the online uh, reality, how to do it. Because while you were learning that, you still had to prop up all of the other leadership initiatives that you had going forward before COVID hit. And, you know, and until you got your leadership into a discussion of what are we going to maybe set aside or do differently or move down the priority list. So online reality was a must for any of us to survive to complete meeting with our people, but then, but then to try to figure out how to and what of the rest of that list you could take on at the same time remains a challenge for us. I mean, you, you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to break the backs of your people. And, and honestly, yourself as a leader, it's exhausting. It is. I mean, this online reality itself and running all of these meetings, it's a new language. And it kind of reminds me of when we were in seminary, Blaine, and we were learning Greek and Hebrew, and we would come home just exhausted of all the parsing and all of the tenses and just the, the in Greek alone, the the voices that we don't have in English. So it reminded me this online reality and all of this Zoom leadership that we're doing of that time in my life when I was just exhausted because I was learning a new language. So that's why my head hurts more than I expected to. I (laughs) suspect the reality. Uh, Yes, a lot of people have noticed how much energy it takes to move. Really, the way I've thought about it is opening another campus. It's not a physical campus, but an online campus. Right. And and when we go back, we shouldn't, though some will be tempted to do so, jettison online. It's here to stay. So, you know, the church is in one of those huge moments in history where some of us are going to be tempted to hold on to the past. Some are going to be tempted to hold on to the present. And really what we all need to be doing is developing the strategies to to respond to what is now, I believe, our new normal. Yes, I I have a lot of excitement. I'm very excited by the idea of still being able to be present online when people choose not to be in church, they're traveling, or don't choose because they're own health reasons. Uh, But at some point, we will get some flexibility back in our life, and people will still be able to participate in some way online, even when they're not physically present. Uh, It also makes me a little nervous as our 
we're not used to producing online material. And so it looks and sounds quite different. Totally different. Um, Switching a little bit, what has this year shown you about the life of a Christian congregation or about Christian leadership? I believe this is a Kairos moment. It's not a Kronos moment. It's a Kairos moment when God is breaking in. And part of what's going on is that God is working to get the attention of the Christian church in our country to say, it's not working. You got to shift some things up. And I think we've all known that. I mean, we've certainly all been tracking with attendance trends for decades giving trends for decades, um, the major culture shifts. Um, some have coined the Me Too movement as the fastest velocity culture shift since the civil rights movement. And now, you know, we're in this a new shift around the way we're responding to racism and white supremacy. So I, I believe that what God has been showing me is that I really need to be paying attention to where God is leading the church next and what God is saying we really need to let go of. I I feel like there's a way in which our hand is being forced here. I don't have all of that figured out yet, but I, I feel it and I know it. And it's one of those revelation moments where, you know, Jesus is talking to John about the seven churches and their various issues. I think this is one of those moments again for us in the States. It certainly feels accelerated to me, like we've moved perhaps from script to improvisation or from sheet music to improvising. It can be exciting, but it's also can be pretty frightening, too. Totally. I mean, how many of us that are in the pulpit right now were trained in any way with the skill set that we need to have at our avail to preach online? It's not the same as when we're preaching from the pulpit. It's just not. Certainly, it's not. Discipleship is just, I mean, what does that look like, Blaine? You know, it's maybe we can do worship like this, but can we disembody discipleship as well? I don't know. I don't know either, but I'm interested to find out. Should we? (laughs) Right. And now... This is what we ha- how we have to do it, so we sort of sort of have to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. This this is kind of a two sided question. What have you learned that is especially new, or maybe just the opposite? Have you seen something that you already already knew that was very strongly confirmed this year? I am immensely tremendous for two things: my spiritual gifts, the gifts that God gave me and also my spiritual formation practices. For me, this time has been extremely isolating because I am naturally an extrovert. um, And I really like working in teams, like physically with teams. And so there's an isolation component to this that's been really tough, but not unknown because I've been a church planner for the last 15 years. And so For me, I've been so grateful that my spiritual disciplines, I was convinced of the necessity of them. I had spent a long time developing them. They were in place because they carried me. They kept me alive. I truly believe it. The, The other thing is that I just was super grateful. Sometimes I feel like the church I'm in, you know, 
churches my size are always envious of the resources and the tall steeples. But I, I was really grateful for my training as an evangelist and um, also for my gifts of apostleship and just my evangelism spirit because the pivot to online and the new skills that we needed to acquire were really exciting to me. And they didn't feel that all different from the evangelism that you know, the ways that we've had to pivot the whole time we've been moving this church forward to keep it alive. So you, you in a way, have already been moving from pivot to pivot for, is it now 15 years? And so I, this was just a an, another pivot, maybe pivots and a little bigger. Yeah, I mean, I think that my trajectory as an evangelist, which is primarily what I've been my entire ministry career, has been exactly what you just described there. Pivot to pivot to pivot. You know, springing up modern worship in a community deeply um, and wonderfully uh, traditional springing. I mean, that was not easy. That was a 10 year pivot. And so it just, in everything about what I've done in ministry since I left seminary was moving into a community and learning a language or a skill set that I didn't already have to match the need in the community. So in that way, I felt like the things that were weighing people down early on just weren't an issue for us here. It's just, this is the air that we've been breathing the whole time we've been doing what we've been doing. Um, the other thing is my church is just full of people who are technologically savvy. So all of this stuff is second nature to them. That must be nice. It is very nice. Here's a question that's sort of unique to you. I, remind me of where y'all are worshiping and are you in permanent space or were you when March rolled around? No, we have been making our way toward an agreement that we have with the developer in this community about shared space that is still being built. So we're still worshiping in the school that we launched in. And Blaine, it has been a huge blessing for us to not have a mortgage. Sure. And so some of this maintenance stuff that you all have to continue to, the deferred maintenance, if you will, in your budget, we don't have that. I mean, it was like a cash cushion immediately, which is necessary because I think every church in this country has experienced a bit of a downtrend in their giving during this time. Understandably so. People are nervous and also lazy. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyway, so um, that was a big blessing to us. And so we don't have that dual online reality and physical campus deferred maintenance reality that many other churches do. It's a blessing. And for us, you know, what the, the other spiritual blessing of this is that we have lived so long with understanding the church is not about the building, that when all of this contention was occurring in the culture about the shutdown of the church, I mean, we we never experienced ourselves to shut down or close our doors. We didn't. It was, it was a weird statement for us to be hearing because we're like, you know, what is he, when the president was talking about it, like, what has he been talking about? We've been going full tilt ahead since COVID started. We never shut down. It sounds like you really did, did embrace the mindset that you've, you've moved from the temporary space you met to worship in to moving online. We did. Uh, we, a lot of us have talked about that uh, as we've been eyeing our sanctuaries, hoping to refill them very quickly. Are you, were you meeting in a high school? Do I remember that correctly? No, uh, in an elementary school. Same effect. So we, 
It doesn't create the same longing as a a sanctuary used for decades, I imagine. No. I think the thing that we have in common with a church like yours, though, is that it is wearing to socially distance in the way that we've been called to. And people long to be together physically. So that's, we all feel that in our church. We miss one another. And um, we're having our first uh, outdoor event, socially distanced in the ways that we need to in Virginia on Sunday. And people are looking forward to it. People are nervous, but people are really looking forward to it. And you know, we'll see what that looks like for us. We have a plan to go back in August. We've vetted it. We're ready to sort of shoot it up all the channels that we need to. But the resurgence of this virus and now the mounting number of school districts that are saying they're not going back until 2021, now we're going to have to rethink that again. I'd like to circle back. Um, You mentioned not only you pivoting, but the leadership and the whole congregation you're serving. Do you think, are you able to identify what has helped your leaders, in your case, elders and other people? What has helped them to make those shifts successfully? And anything that's hard to overcome would be interesting too. Um, Well, for us, we decided, I decided that as the moderator session, that we needed a body of material that we could all sort of agree to. And so I jumped on with the Barna Group. Church Pulse Weekly, as did about 10,000 other churches in the state. Hugely helpful, Blaine. It'll run all, I mean, I don't know if you're hooked in with them, but it will run all your surveys. I mean, Barna does what Barna does well. It stays on the forefront of analyzing the trends in the church right now. Um, And so, uh, and they hooked up with this um, consulting firm in Colorado named Glue, Carrie Nyhoff. And so I said, I, ha- I got us all on board with them. We just joined. They offered it free to everyone. And so everyone was routinely, as an elder, made a commitment to just stay weekly up to date with them. And then I just continued my d- discipleship practices that keep us together as a leadership body online. So it took us a while to shift to that reality, but the session has shifted really well. Where that has not gone well for us is that it hasn't trickled down to teams. So not all of our teams have met yet. Um, And that's largely because our elders or our team leaders are having a hard time getting people to engage at that level. So that hasn't gone as well. I'm keeping my leaders alive spiritually the same way that I do pre-COVID. Could you talk a little bit more about how 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 you do that? Yeah, I mean, part of our session meeting is, you know, we have a devotional that we go through, scriptures, we study scriptures together. We have a whole way in which we do that. And then we lead a strategic book around a concept that will help us move forward some strategic engine in the church. So, for example, I'll pull one up that we were, we changed our discipleship process last year. So we were guided by Discipleship That Fits. It's a book by Alex. Uh, Absalon and Bobby Harrington. So we ch- we were springing forth groups or reimagining groups again in the church. And so this was the framework that we used because it's more contemporary and more matching of what's going on in the culture. So um, after the Bible study, there was always a discussion of this. So training 
you know, I, I do the work to train my leaders, but also to keep them alive spiritually around the scriptures. And then we would just move into the strategic work that we would do for the evening. And, and the elders that have come around me have been very faithful about doing those things. Sometimes they grouse about it, and sometimes it feels like too much work with everything else they're going, going on in their lives. But they've all done it. I, I feel like when and if I should ever leave this church, Blaine, I'm going to leave behind fully developed devotees of Christ. It's interesting. You and I have known each other 15 years, 16 years. Yeah. Uh-huh. And- and that is what you set out to do. It was something that was a clear emphasis of yours that you wanted to form and to nurture people as Christians yeah. who could stand on their own and feed themselves. And you're still at it. <laughs> Good yeah. for you. I wonder if you have a practical suggestion or two or eight uh, that you could make for other church leaders. Well, I highly recommend that if they're not already connected to Church Pulse Weekly, it hangs off of the Barna page, the Barna group. They should just jump on it. It's free. It's all in one place, and it's very relevant right now. I also think that for any of us who are going to free up in a position to hire, we should hire for the future, and you, we all should be hiring someone who is a media technology whiz, gets it. So someone who gets how to work InstaStory or use, knows how to work. Uh, Facebook is really kind of the primary one that people in our community are still looking at, which dates us in age. But I think you need to hire for the future. And I think you need to bring an evangelist on that understands how to navigate in the media world that we're in from an evangelistic point of view. The marrying of those two fields is up and coming in my mind. We have a design firm uh, that's in our budget. We started several years ago when we, did, we redid our, um, our webpage, um, which actually needs a, a redo again. But part of the contract that we have developed is that a person in their firm manages our social media for us, professionally manages it. I, I think we should sub that out or hire that person. So that would be one recommendation I would make. And I think every church in this country is being called by God to deal with the race issue and to not remain silent on it. And how we get into the conversation and how we lead in this moment will be different for all of us because we're in different parts of the country and we're leading different people. But we must especially those of us who look like you and I, we must take a stand right now and work toward change. And that's not going to be easy. But I feel like this is one of the things that's tarnishing the church of Jesus Christ in this country right now is the ways that we unwittingly prop up the systems of racism. That's not easy. And you have to have a leadership team. And that's the thing that's been hard for us. Besides COVID, our leadership is convinced that's the number one priority, but you, there's only so much leadership bandwidth to move forward strategically, strategically and thoughtfully. But I would say that if you're asking me, I think it's incumbent upon all of us. We, we cannot, there's no such thing as a good white racist. Um, and it's a book I read. I recommend that good white racist because it really, it's written by a white woman And it gets at all of our sophisticated ways of excusing ourselves 
personally from the problem. So let me ask the obvious and challenging question that springs from that. How are you leading in that area? What are you doing and what is, what is, what is the leadership of your church doing to address it? Well, we made a commitment to it. I would encourage you to watch, go on our website and watch the service that we did on, um, did you see Herbert Nelson's spot that he put out when uh, George Floyd was killed? I did not. Seven, eight minutes, okay. That I would encourage you to watch that sermon for us. It's 30 minutes. Um, I'll send it to you after we're done. And I'm not, I'm not ever good at remembering which date we did what on. Um, but in that service, we we had a session meeting, and interestingly enough, in that session meeting, we were going to do something else, and we pivoted in that moment and said, oh my gosh, this is the next thing we have to deal with. So we made a commitment, and then we put a worship service together in which we responded to what was going on, and we made a commitment to address the issue, to lead in some way to to, ch to challenge a system in our context that's propping up racism. We have not yet put the framework around how we are going to do that. We have, I have preached on it two times and, it, and just touched on it again last week with a guest preacher. We haven't, we're reading Fearless Dialogues by Gregory Ellison down there in your neck of the woods in Atlanta at Emory. And I'm thinking that is the direction that we are going to go in. We are going to uh, bring together key players in our community to have the conversation um, about what this looks like from us. And then out of that, out of that fearless conversation, you emerges a communal way to address what's going on in your own particular neck of the woods. So we're in process around this, around telling you what the exact framework will be, but that's where we are so far. Thank you. It sounds like it surfaced within your leadership of its own accord by the moving of the spirit. And the step that y'all took was to say, we're going to do something about this. You yeah, don't quite know what that something is yet, but you've made a commitment to each other to, to, to act upon it. Yeah. And we, and we have some ideas. I mean, we, we have made a commitment as a session. We recognize that this is not a topic we've ever talked about before and that we are going to think very differently about it. And that we don't actually have a lot of people of color in the congregation. So, so we, but right now on our session, we have several people of color who have actually been helping to forge the way forward. So we've been listening to them very carefully. The other thing that the session did recently is that in light of where we're going, we have two positions that we're hiring. And so we would really like to have our staff at this point reflect the diversity in the community in which we find ourselves. So we've made a commitment in our search process to be deliberative about that. Good. So we've taken some steps like that and all the elders are reading fearless dialogues. I've got a couple of people in a um, group that sprang up in the community of different churches that were doing a book study together. So I've got some leaders in that group. So, and I joined a community board here in Brambleton that it, there's no one in my church that's in it. I'm just in it as a community member, having the conversation with people in our, in our community on our way to figuring it out. Right. And then that way, maybe, maybe it is uh, again, a lot like starting a new congregation. You, yeah. you make the commitment to do it. You get started at it. 
you have a direction to begin moving, but you don't get to know how it's going to work out. Right. Uh, certainly not more than a, a few steps ahead of you. Right. I did something with a, a group of elders I've never done in any church, though. And again, it was because we were committed to do it. We participated, per, participated together in some of the protests. So we marched together. And that I, I have always been reluctant to do that because of the way that it can be perceived politically in the context of the congregations that I've served. But this was a moment. It was different. All the elders were on board, and we did it. I'm like, well, this is a different session than I've been with before. So, And that was eye-opening for me. It was, um, I've never been opposed to doing it. I just haven't done it because I felt like I needed to sort of always be neutral or perceived that way. That's really helpful to hear and, and challenging and encouraging at the same time, which yeah. is not not unusual for a conversation with you. <laughs> Thanks, Blaine. Sure. I'm in it as a compliment. You may or may not have an answer to this, but it's a, a, question, a new question for me. I'm more in, wondering if you have a word of encouragement for other leaders in this year. I do have a word of encouragement, and that is... It's not my words, it's what Jesus said in Matthew 16. And that's when he was, you know, priming his key leaders for the change that they were going to have to pivot around pretty soon. You know, he said, people, guys, on this rock, meaning their faith and now our faith, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Blaine, that's my encouragement. Um, I believe in the church I don't believe that this moment we're experiencing is unique or new or any more difficult than these big moments in years past. I believe it's our time. I believe by doubling down on our spiritual practices and staying in community and staying accountable with colleagues, Jesus will lead us through. I don't think this is going to take the church down. I think the church is going to rise out of it. And I want to be part of that. So that's my word of encouragement. This is a hard moment, but it's not a moment that's going to defeat us. That's a great word. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Elizabeth Brooken Sturman for her time for this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it and that you join me next time. If you know someone I should speak with on the Leaders Learning Podcast, Send me an email to leaderslearning2020 at gmail.com. You can catch up on all of our conversations at our website, leaderslearning.net. God bless you, and I hope to see you soon one way or another.